Hello, Colts fans. For those of you who have been tuning into the pod, we want to welcome you back. Thank you for uh, for listening so faithfully. And for those of you who may be joining us for the very first time, we are so excited to have you here with us on Go For It. As always, we start each episode with a trivia question about the Indianapolis Colts. So, Nate, without further ado, do you want to take it away for us? What's up, y'all? I hope y'all are doing all right. And if you guys don't mind, let's just remember, if you're a faithful man, a faithful woman, um, or you d- you just think positive thoughts, let's think about um, all these states and uh, cities that are going through this hard time of all these riots. And uh, I, I'm a faithful man. I, I, I truly believe that everything will come be- better and uh, get better. And uh, yeah, just remember them in prayer and thoughts, guys, because right now we, we need to start getting our lives together let's put it that way and i'm glad you guys are joining us and get let's get away from all that okay so the question is for the for today in 2009 colts ran a trick play where blank fill in the blank threw a touchdown pass to reggie wayne who was it remember 2009 2009 which colts player threw a pass to Reggie Wayne on a trick play in 2009. And if you don't, and, and, and we don't run a whole lot of trick plays if you actually look into our like oh. history a little bit, at least our recent history. Yeah. Eh. Try not to think about the notorious trick play under Chuck Pagano. How, how did I know you were going to bring that up? I, you I was, can't I mention just, trick plays I was just in meaning, Indianapolis. I was just meaning to think positively here. And here you are going into the negativity. Okay. Uh, it's right. one of the worst trick you're, plays You're off the podcast. Time. You're off the podcast. We're done. You just bringing that up, you're done. Yeah. Uh, quickly moving on. Don't forget, you can interact with us in regards to these questions and, oh, and anything else related to the Colts on our Twitter page, at GFI Podcast. Uh, more than happy to hear you guys' answers there, hear your guesses, throw, uh, throw out your guesses. Hopefully you do not use the help of the internet. Hopefully, because you think you know it, you just uh, spout off what you think the answer to the question is there. And as always, we will reveal the answer to the question at the end of the episode. So without further ado, Nate, we have so much to discuss. I want to start off with the offense for the Indianapolis Colts. Um, obviously, they made a lot of moves and a lot of additions to help make this offensive unit a lot better. You know, we had, uh, specifically in the draft, we we drafted a lot of offensive power to help add depth, to help add more weapons for Phillip Rivers, you know, such as uh, Michael Pittman Jr., Jonathan Taylor, Desmond Patman, to name a few. Um, that's just naming a few of the pieces that we picked up to add to this offensive puzzle. So there's a lot of upside, and I really do feel like the Indianapolis Colts offense is trending upwards. But no offense is perfect, even in the most well-oiled machine of teams in the NFL. Every offense has a weakness, and the Colts, the Colts are no exception to that rule, Nate. And so with that being said, I had to think about this a little bit um, before feeling prepared enough to uh, give my opinion on the Colts' offense currently and where it stands. And I think it's kind of hard right now because I feel like many avenues of the Colts' offense are really strong at the moment. They have, obviously, we say it week in and week out. We're always talking about it. The Colts have a top three offensive line in the NFL. Um Perhaps took a small, very small step backwards in pass protection last year, but they were a huge contributor to Marlon Mack's success in the ground game. They were a huge reason, one of uh, you know one of the big reasons why the Colts were so successful running the football last year. Um, so between the talent we have in the backfield and on the offensive line, I think we're really, really set there, really strong there. Um, so. I think the weakness for me, Nate, right now for the Colts offense really comes in the passing game in general. We added some good depth uh, in Desmond Patman was a good depth pick at wide receiver. 
And there's been a lot of analysts state that he is really going, he could really be a late, a late draft steal. He could really turn out to be one of those late draft gems that kind of went under the radar. I really hope for that to be the case. And so there's a lot more depth, but I think because the passing game struggled so much last year, there's going to be a lot of eyes on if they can actually improve and become better in the passing unit. And I think they will. But until we see them in action and they actually prove that that uh, Frank Reich actually proves coming into this season that he has made the adjustments that, uh, you know, Philip Rivers is on board with the game plan and he's knowledgeable of the offense the way everyone expects him to be. Until we see them in action and see them actually having some success throwing the ball, I think right now, even if it's kind of a slim margin, I think right now the weakness on the Colts offense is the passing game just because there are still some question marks surrounding it. I'm right there with you. We both think alike on this one. The, <laughs> the, the question, the question mark for me, not um, the wider wide receivers to me are the better part of the offense right now, personally. Um, but tight ends wise, that's my biggest question mark. Yes, we have Jet Mr. Jack Doyle, but who is going to be catching balls behind him? Moali Cox. We thought he was going to have a big year last year, filling in for Eric Ebron when he wasn't. If we since we wasn't sure he was going to play, and during um, the preseason and during um, OTAs and uh, the off-season workouts, he was showing a lot of highlights. Everybody was going, man, here comes Frank Wright and Chris Ballard seeing a, a basketball player, you know, that didn't play a snap of football in his life and just come in and just be like a Jimmy Graham, uh, Antonio Gates. <laughs> but he just was non-existent uh, last year. He probably had maybe five total catches, if I'm not mistaken. And then, obviously, Eric Ebron didn't help much either. Probably only recorded not that very many catches either. And then you have uh, Travis. I forgot his first name, but his last name was Travis. And he didn't do anything. And there's just so many questions. We picked up Trey Burton. Yeah, he would be a good pick if we knew he could stay healthy. But right now, we know he can't stay healthy. That's part of the reason why... He didn't work out in Chicago. That's part of the reason why in Philadelphia after um, the Super Bowl season, they let him go because he had those type of injuries. And, yeah. And the, and Jack Doyle is our only consistent guy. And that, that, to me, raises a lot of question marks. But we both know that the running game is our strongest. We Absolutely. both know that. And uh, the only thing that that needs to improve on is – when we face a top five defense that stops the run, we need to be the better team and run through them. Because last year we obviously proved that when it comes to the top five teams and that is best against the run, we don't really do much. So that we still need to improve on. But to me, that's not the weakness of the offense. Because even though they didn't run that good, they were still running the ball uh, um, with will. But the tight end position to me is what makes this uh, Colts passing offense the weakest link. Absolutely. I was really hoping during the offseason they would pick up uh, Delaney Walker from Tennessee. Well, he's I think like... he's still a free agent. Wow. Uh, and ever since I heard that he wasn't uh, resigning with Tennessee, I wanted him in Indy. I felt like he'd be a good addition um, to line up opposite Jack Doyle. Frank Reich really likes to get the tight ends involved. Last year, was kind of a fluke in a way. I, I don't think Frank Reich had complete confidence in Jacoby's ability, especially on the latter half of the season after Jacoby started dealing with that injury. Um, I don't really think he had the confidence to scheme up certain plays with Jacoby, which kind of left the tight ends out to dry um, just because they felt a little, Frank Reich probably felt a little tied up with what he could call, the plays he could call. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Molly Cox. I, uh, ever since he had that one handed catch, uh, against the Raiders in 2018, um, I was, I was really rooting for Molly Cox. I always love that story. 
You know, he came from a totally different sport into football, and he's a big guy with obviously with some skill and some talent to be on the roster and, and to play some games and to have uh-huh. some moments, um, even without having a lot of actual on the field experience. Um, and so I, I look for, you know, I look for guys like him to bounce back. Um, but I completely agree with you. Beyond Jack Doyle, the tight end position is hands down the biggest single question mark for the Colts offensively right now. Um, but I would love to see them make some kind of deal with Delaney Walker. I, th- I, I think that would solve that problem overnight. Uh, Delaney Walker still has a lot to a lot to give. And I think putting him and Jack Doyle together could really just be that final piece that ties the whole thing together. Yeah, um, but Trey, I think that's what they're going to need to look into to make the offense stronger. If Trey Burton didn't play under Frank Wright when Frank Wright was the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia, I don't think we would have brought him in. No. Because to me, that was really a risky move, in my opinion. I I like the guy. He does show a lot of skill. He does show a lot of uh, things that we can use to make our team better. But if he can't stay healthy, there's no way that it will work. And then with Mo Ali Cox, I'm rooting for the guy as well. He has done a lot of great things for this um, team. It's just, we don't see the catches. He's out there when they're about to run the ball, but when it comes to passing, it's almost non-existent. And I want the guy to succeed. I want him to be a guy that, the Colts can depend upon. And I guess that's part of the reason why they went ahead and um, signed him to a one-year deal um, after the season was over last year because they know that this guy has a lot of promise and they're saying, hey, we like you. We really like you. That's that's part of the reason why we signed you to an extra year so you could prove yourself. And to be honest, they showed that they really like him because they obviously didn't draft a guy in, in um, the dr- uh, draft. They, you had all these tight ends, pretty good tight ends, probably not the most uh, depth in tight end in the draft, but they they still was like, look, we're sticking with our guys. We promise. We believe that they're going to be good. So I hope they're right. I really want them to work. I really hope they're right. Yeah, me too. And um, if they can if they can bring that, that unit together and Frank Wright can, uh, can really continue to develop the tight end group, and I, I don't think I think the offense is really tied all together completely. Um, but until then, until we actually see that, um, yeah, it's definitely the the passing game in general. Um, and it's going to be something that everybody's watching 100% to see if they've actually improved. So um, definitely something to keep an eye on as Colts fans and and you know watching that offense perform. Um, and moving on, we have. A number of Colts players who underperformed last year, whether it was due to injury or they just didn't they didn't play to the level to the caliber we expected them to play. Um, there were a number of Colts out there that we could list off, and so with that being said, there's also an opportunity for these same um, these same players to bounce back and have a better season. Um, Some players are probably more likely to have that than others. So, Nate, the bottom line is, and I'm going to let you start off this one, uh, who do you believe will bounce back for the Colts this season after having a a less-than-ideal year last year? Man, I was hoping to piggyback off of you. You're you're putting (laughs) me on the spot now. I'm not used to being on the spotlight. What are you trying to do to me, man? Hey, I'm just switching it up. I'm just switching it up. <laughs> believe it or not, believe it or not, I'm going to say Darius Leonard. I mean, I, that might be a shock to you, but... It is a shock to me. It, it is. Because I, I don't feel I, like he I, had a... I don't know. That is a shock to me. Not because I don't think he'll play well, but just because I didn't. his season <laughs> didn't strike me as being a need to bounce back from, you know. But, but, but see, but see this, is, this is where it gets tricky. I don't think that either. But to Darius Leonard, he had a down year. He was upset that he didn't have as many tackles as he should have. He was upset that he didn't have as many sacks as he should have. He was upset that he didn't have many of uh, fumble recoveries or forced fumbles. He he sees himself 
as the leader. He sees himself as the guy of the defense, which he is. He is the guy. He is the maniac for a reason, guys. When he was a rookie, he had 163 tackles. Uh, last year, he only had, I think, 112. So to him, that's a down year. <laughs> <laughs> to him, guys, that's a down year. To me, he still did pretty good for only playing or for uh, missing only, I think, three or four games. He still had a great year. But to Darius Leonard, it was a, <laughs> a horrible year. And wow. just knowing who he is, I believe he's going to have more than 163, or he'll be around there. I can almost guarantee that if we play, if he plays 16 games, oh, I can, yeah. I, tr I truly believe that. And there's been um, uh, articles, there's been uh, po Instagram posts, there's been Twitter posts showing how dominant Darius Leonard has been for the, for his first two years. And who was he with? He was compared to Ray Lewis, Hall of Famer. Right? I sent you the picture, Elijah. Yes, I sent you, you the picture. Ray Lewis impressed. and then Brian Erlacher. Two Hall of Famers. We should be pretty excited because that means if he continues how uh, who he is, you're seeing a Hall of Famer. A future yeah. Hall of Famer. I'm not saying he's going to be any uh, greater than Ray Lewis, but he's going to be pretty close. He's going to be really close. Okay, I have no doubt in my mind by the time he's all done, said, you know, his career is all said and done in the books, he's going to go down as one of the greatest linebackers to play the game. Already, just with what he's on pace to do, even after missing three games last year, is so remarkable. And his ambition is second to none. His expectations for himself, his goals for himself. Like, he has a goal to be not defensive player of the year, which is one of his goals. He has a goal to be MVP of the league. Yeah, I, that's who he that is. doesn't happen very much. I don't remember. I don't know when the last defender was selected as MVP. Um, I think normally, Ron Woodson. Ron Woodson. Yeah, I was going to say, normally it goes to a quarterback because it's a quarterback-driven league, and it's always been said that if somebody else other than the quarterback gets MVP, then then the level of pay that, that uh, is expected at that position goes up, yada, yada. I think the MVP uh, candidacy very, very sorely gyps players at other positions who are very valuable to the team. But But the fact that he has that ambition and it's a realistic goal to him even if it might not seem realistic to anyone else, that shows his level of ambition. He's not kidding around. If you've ever seen him in interviews talk about his goals, it is inspiring. Like He does not play around when it comes to his expectations for himself. That's why, that's why, with that being said, Nate, I love that answer. It was so unexpected, but due to his standards and how he underperformed to his standards last year, and he's going to have a chip on his shoulder like he's had since he came into the league. Man, I'm excited to watch him play. It's it's actually exciting to think about what he's going to do. Before the season starts, I'm getting a jersey. I'm getting a 53 jersey. Same. Yeah, I, he's easily my favorite player right now. <laughs> he, he's my favorite player. Um, but... I don't have I have nothing but respect for Darius Leonard, but uh, I love that answer. Nate was not expected at all, but I really do um, like that response. Uh, well, I you, think you, you want me to go somewhere else? I can go somewhere else. Oh, there's plenty. There's <laughs> there are plenty of players to choose from, and that's kind of why mine was kind of a toss up. But I think the obvious <laughs> one. I'm just going to mention him. This is not who. This is not. I believe he's going to bounce back, but he's not the player that I'm going to focus on. I just wanted to mention T.Y. Hilton. He's the obvious pick um, for a Colt who will indeed bounce back. Um, I have no doubt in my mind. T.Y. went down because of injury last year, and up to the point where he got injured and went on IR, he was playing very good football uh, in spite of you know things not being the same since Andrew Luck left. Um, he was having a very solid year, but... I'm not going to pick T.Y. simply because he's the obvious choice. Um, I'm actually going to pick Malik Hooker. Mm. I, <laughs> I want to see this guy succeed. He is a special player. He's a special talent. He shows sparks of brilliance when he's on the field. Um, granted, he can be inconsistent at times. We talked about him a few weeks ago 
in regards to the Colts declining his fifth-year option. This is a crucial year for Malik Hooker. I think this is going to be a year where he comes in with that feeling, uh, that need to prove something to everyone, prove something to himself, prove something to the team. Um, I really look for Malik Hooker to have a bounce-back year. I look for this to be a career year for him. He, I, I go back to the moments. Granted, he's he suffered from injuries a lot. Granted, he suffers from some inconsistency, but I go back to the moments like week one against Los Angeles Chargers where he picked off our our quarterback now, Phillip Rivers, uh, in the end zone, in the red zone, uh, with one hand. Phillip just, Phillip just did not see him, uh, and he kind of just came out from the uh, outer boundaries, kind of out of the play, and his athleticism and his ability to, to close on the ball so quickly – allowed him to get a hand out there, and it just stuck to his hand like glue. He grabbed that ball and, you know, ran it out. Um, it was an, one of the most incredible interceptions of the entire season, in my opinion. And I look at moments like that, and I'm thinking, man, this guy, he's he's something special. And he's still got that factor that Chris Ballard and company saw in him when they drafted him back in 2017. And so I really do think it's going to be a career year for Malik Hooker. And it's going to result in an extension for him um, after the season is over. I I really want him to because he has shown a lot of highlights to where you're like, yes, Chris Ballard did get a guy that fits his defense, that fits this scheme, the guy that could be compared to Ed Reed. And if you guys could see me now, I'm putting quotation marks, <laughs> Ed Reed. Very because, big quotation marks. Yeah, they're very big quotation marks because he, he isn't Ed Reed right now. Ed Reed had a much bigger impact when he be, when he came into the league than Malik Hooker has by like a landslide. But if he can work it out and kind of fix his inconsistency, then, then yes, he could be one of the best um, defensive players, defensive safeties in the league. There's some stats that is definitely in his favor, but then there's also other stats that's like, wow, he's like second to last or something. But I, be- I believe he could totally fix it if he puts his mind to it and then make himself a really, really recognizable safety. Yeah, and I think the key for him is just going to be staying healthy. I think if he can do that and play 16 games, um, at the very least 15 games, um, I really think he's going to have a solid year. So Darius Leonard. Malik Hooker, make sure to let us know at GFI Podcast what you think of our players that we chose, um, that we believe are going to bounce back the most here in 2020. And let us know who your picks are for the Colts uh, for Colts players who had a lackluster season last year um, but could really turn it around and bounce back strong in the 2020 season. So let us know at GFI Podcast. We are also starting a new series to go alongside our draft in-depth. Uh, as we um, come closer to finishing draft in depth, it's going to be called Path to the Playoffs. We are going to start, starting right now, talking about um, every one of the Colts' regular season games coming into this year. Um, we're going to talk about each game, one per episode, leading up to the beginning of the season. So, with that being said, Nate, first first game for the Colts on September 13th, we play against the Jaguars in Jacksonville. I uh, I have no doubt in my mind that we will win this game. We are, I believe we are better than we were last year. I think we have, this is the most complete team we've seen since the Peyton Manning era. Um, my only concern is the Colts are notorious for performing poorly in week one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have statistics in front of me. But I can remember a handful of seasons just in, within the last decade where we have lost our season opener. And I don't know why that is. It irritates the life out of me. Um, the week one game against the Chargers last year, you and I, we watched that game together, Nate. You saw me, um, and I saw you. I think it's safe to say we were both very disappointed <laughs> with that game. That's an understatement. Um, oh, my gosh. It was back and forth. It was a game we should have won. It was the start of Adam Vinatieri's woes. Um, and we lost that game. And I believe the year before that, we faced Cincinnati when Andrew Luck came back. We yeah. faced Cincinnati, and we lost mm-hmm. to them. Um, and then, of course, 2017 was a disaster altogether. But I think for the majority of the years that Andrew Luck 
started week one, we we lost the majority of those week one games. So it's just a fluke. I don't know. But that week one seems to be our kryptonite. And, of course, teams are getting back into the rhythm of things. They're, they're getting their game plan together. And as the season progresses, naturally, teams are going to come together more as a unit. But with all things considering, Jacksonville is in full rebuild mode. Um, they, they've gotten rid of so much talent, including, I think, namely, uh, more than anything, Calais Campbell is no longer there. Saxonville is all but extinct. Obviously, Jalen Ramsey, he's been gone for a while. We all know, uh, we are all familiar with that drama that went down. Jalen Ramsey did not want to be in Jacksonville anymore. Um, so he moved on. This defense, who used to be a top five unit just a few years ago, is has a lot of question marks. And the offense has a lot of question marks. Really, there's not a lot of good to say about Jacksonville. That's not just because they're a division opponent. Um, mm-hmm. That's just because they're not a good team coming into the coming into the year. They weren't a good team last year. So uh, I fully expect the Colts to win this game. I expect them to run away with this game. The I fully believe the Colts defense is going to be a top 10 unit. I believe the Colts offense is going to be a top 10 unit. So um, there's going to be a lot of games where there are competitive but I, I like I think this could be a two touchdown, maybe even three touchdown victory, like margin. Oh, that ain't too bad. Not too bad at all. And when you were talking about flukes um, being the first game we always lose, it also doesn't help that we haven't been playing good in Jacksonville in a very long time. Yeah, that's you true. You had the goose egg two years ago. Oh, then you had last year where we – just didn't even look like a 500 team. We looked like we were one of the worst in the league, and we in the game shouldn't have been even close because we the Colts just made so many mistakes that it just ended up uh, killing them later on, and that's how Jacksonville beat us in Jacksonville. The, to be honest, it's gonna to me it's gonna be a close game just because it's the first game of the season, especially with what's going on right now. Uh, even though we have great leadership with Philip Rivers, I still believe that it's going to be a little while before he has chemistry with our wide receiver group, our tight ends. I don't think we'll have a problem running the ball. I mean, I'm pretty sure our guys are going to be very, very hungry to run the ball and basically uh, slit uh, the defense's throat and put them down to the ground. And uh, I can see more of 24 to excuse me 14 maybe 24 21 and just because of it being a division opponent in the Peyton Manning era you can almost guarantee a division opponent being blown out but ever since Peyton Manning left it's always been close we don't know the reason why but it ends up happening and to be honest it, it's actually pretty natural that a division team when when they face each other it's supposed to be close because you see each other twice twice a year so you're pretty familiar with each team and that's that to me that even though i don't believe jacksonville is going to be a good team i still believe they're going to give us some issues they have some great talent on the defense it's it's young so they're still learning but the offense it's still question marks and that's why, to me, I believe the first game of the season, we will win as well. I'm right there with you, but I believe it's going to be a little bit closer than what you're uh, projecting. Yeah, well, and that's fair. I mean, you bring up an excellent point with uh, Philip Rivers and building chemistry. He has started to work out with wide receivers a little bit, I believe. Um, I think I, I read that somewhere, um, especially you know as things start to slowly open back up. And all he's starting to work, starting to try and build that chemistry with his wideouts. Uh, he's Ty says he's already taken taken charge in, in virtual meetings that they've had, and he, he's asking great questions. He he's hungry to learn every last aspect, but it's going to take time. And especially with everything going on right now, it's kind of set all like every team in the league back a little bit because teams have not been able to meet in the same way that they would usually be meeting at this point in the year. So it's definitely I I I don't necessarily know that the Jacksonville game will be a 
pretty game to watch. It might be a little messy. Maybe um, a little. Maybe a little. Maybe a little. And with Phillip Rivers' tendency to throw some interceptions because he takes risks that, you know, some quarterbacks don't take, um, it, it could be it could potentially be a, a kind of a messy game. But in terms of the in terms of the weights of this game, Nate, I don't want to sound over dramatic, but since we start off week one against a division opponent, I think this is a must win game to mm, um, yeah. every game you want. You know, every game obviously is a, in a way a must win game. You don't want to lose any of your games, but it, it's bound to happen. Yeah. Um, but I think this is a must win game. Uh, we have a we have the chance right out the gate to take charge of the entire division with a win over Jacksonville. And so I think there's a lot of weight surrounding this game. It helps to establish a rhythm. It helps to establish a momentum to get this Colts team fired up, get them going, get them prepared for the um, the rest of the stretch of the season. And I've, I, in my mind, this is must win for a multitude of reasons, um, starting with it's a division opponent, followed up with they got to get some early success going and flowing um, so that they can build that momentum. And that's going to be crucial to the Colts uh, moving forward through the rest of the year. Yeah, I to- I totally agree with you. It's it's gonna it's gonna be fun to watch and sloppy. But to me, if but if uh, Philip Rivers does throw it up and you know you hope our wide receivers catch it, I think they're still gonna catch it because their their cornerbacks is actually the weak weak link of their defense. Yeah, and and um and they're young too. I believe they got rid of a uh, Boye. And you mentioned earlier they got rid of Jalen Ramsey, who is their best best cornerback, and everybody else is just younger. You you don't know who they are, and mm. I believe they did draft a, a cornerback from Florida. I want to say C.J. Henderson. I could be wrong with the name, but I do know that they did draft a cornerback to replace Jalen Ramsey and Boye, trying to get that uh, dominant quarterback room back for him. But yeah, I. I believe they're the weakest link, and uh, the wide receivers should have a good day. They yes, should that, have a good yeah. day. And with that being said, Nate, this wasn't on our um, on our our list of things to discuss um, in specific. But before we move on, just to kind of throw an intriguing question out there: Who do you think who do you think is going to have a um, a breakout game against Jacksonville Week One uh, for the Colts? Who who do you think is going to be the standout? Oh, that's a very good question. Very good question. I believe <laughs> this might be a comp out, but it might be true. They were the worst de- uh, running defense in the league. So I'm going to stick with Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor. Mm. I believe both of them is going to have a monstrous game. And I could be wrong. Maybe it's T.Y. Hilton, who we want as the leader to come out and, you know, blow us out of the water because he did have a good game last year against the chargers. It was actually really good. That's where we believed he was going to have a breakout season, but then obviously the injuries came through. So I don't know. It might be T Y Hilton, but I truly believe, and I want it to be, come on somebody. I want it to be Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor. Both of them go over, wait for it, over 100 yards rushing. We did that last year with Jonathan Williams and Marlon Mack against who? Jacksonville. And if you don't remember Colts fans, if you don't remember Colts fans, in 2006, the year we won the Super Bowl, Maurice Jones-Drew and uh, oh, I forgot his name. Taylor. His last name's Taylor. Do you remember who I'm talking about? Yes, I do, actually. Yes, I do. Wasn't he like number 27 or something like that? He was 28. 28. Uh, okay, I know who you're talking about. His last so, name's yeah. Taylor. I know that for yes. a fact. But anyways, those two kicked our butts oh. in 2006. Oh, they went really over weird. 100 yards. And we decided to take it last year and kind of pay him back a little bit. I say that 2006 was so bad, we need to do that again. <laughs> Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack, I'm rooting for both of you. Both of you are going to have a breakout game. I love both. it. I would love nothing more than to see Jonathan Taylor, his first career uh, his first career uh, NFL game, his NFL debut. I would love to see him break out for a hundred, hundred plus <laughs> yards. That would be the coolest thing ever. Um, and just to answer my own question quickly before we move on, I'm gonna go out on a limb, Nate, and I'm gonna say Philip Rivers. Ooh, I, Philip. 
I think this is a crucial game for him in the eyes of Colts fans. Because as you and I have discussed, Colts fans are divided on Phillip Rivers. They are divided on Rivers being in, in Indianapolis. I think this is a crucial game. And because of all the question marks on that defense for Jacksonville, because of their weak secondary, I think Phillip Rivers has the uh, he has the potential to have a heyday on this Jacksonville defense, especially with the risks he's willing to take and the bombs he's willing to throw. Uh, he's going to get Michael Pittman Jr. open, um, who he will very possibly have a have a, a decent NFL debut against Jacksonville. Um, Ty Hilton's going to get in the action. I think Ty is going to have a hundred plus yard game. Uh, I I could I could see Philip Rivers throwing for 350 plus yards and three touchdowns or more, um, mm, and I think I think Colts fans need to see that out of their new quarterback for whether whether he's only here for a year or he ends up after this year signing another two year deal or something. Regardless of how long he's here, Colts fans need to see that Chris Ballard and Frank Wright chose the right guy in Philip Rivers, and I I think it's going to happen. I think he's going to have a good Come game. On. To start the year against Jacksonville, I'm I'm hoping so anyway. So hey, only we time to tell. But. <laughs> we told you, fans. We told you if you're going to listen to our podcast, we make some crazy predictions. <laughs> all right, They're we fun, are not going to hide fun. it. We're not going to hide it, and you will be shocked if we're right. Okay, you are going <laughs> to be pretty static. Like, hey, I've listened to these guys on go for it podcast and they were saying these crazy things not too long ago and then when this game came along and the game after that they actually said it right <laughs> wouldn't that be crazy elijah oh it would be hey we look crazy now but we could look like geniuses come week one or we could just look like crazy people i don't hey, know it's all right that's what makes us entertaining that's absolutely what us entertaining so only time will tell i think I don't think we're too far off, Nate. I think we're I think we're pretty spot on. So uh, we will see. Moving on to some other NFL news, if you want to call it that, um, but just some not generalized. Much going on. <laughs> no, there's not a whole lot going on right now. But um, just in like an overarching theme of football, which is kind of tied into the Colts still, is uh, favorite. Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning moments. Recently, uh, you know, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, uh, Phil Nicholson, and Tiger Woods had a charity golf match. It was a uh, 2v2 golf match. Uh, Manning and Woods versus Brady and Mickelson. And um, I, watched some, I watched the highlights from that golf match, and it looked like a lot of fun. And they looked like they had a lot of fun. And it was just – it was a really cool thing to see, and it kind of helps too take our minds off of what's been going on, you know? Yeah. And, um, but in light of that, um, we felt that it would be, it would only be appropriate to kind of talk about briefly our favorite Brady versus Manning moments. So Nate, I'm going to, I'm going to lead off with the, on this one because I feel like you have a few different ones and I don't <laughs> want you taking my thunder. So my, uh... <laughs> so my favorite Brady versus Manning moment of all time is uh it's actually an entire game it is um the 2006 i was actually played in 2007 but the afc championship game um where the colts ended up beating the patriots by like four points i think final score is 38 34 where they would eventually go on to beat the chicago bears in the super bowl um i love this game i remember so much about this game um as always, Tom Brady and the Patriots were kicking the Colts' tail in Indianapolis late on a Sunday night. I had just gotten out of evening evening uh, church service, and we were heading home. And on the on our way home, we were listening to the game on the radio. It was right at halftime. The score was twenty-one to three, and I'm like, "Great, we have a phenomenal team this year. We go twelve and four. Uh, you know, this we're kind of just rolling through the playoffs." And uh, here we are against the Patriots, as always, every year. They are, they're, they are our Achilles heel. We're going to get blown out in the playoffs, and we're going to go back to the Super Bowl. And so I get home. And in the second half, a different team comes back out onto the field. Peyton, he starts hitting it off. He starts, uh, he starts getting in sync with uh, Reggie and Marvin Harrison and Dallas Clark. They start moving the ball both on the ground and in the air. It goes back and forth. Um, 
it was a classic battle for the ages uh, against Tom Brady and Peyton Manning as they went back and forth in the second half. Uh, Peyton led uh, led us to a comeback late in the fourth quarter on, and then you know we took that final lead on a Joseph Adai run to make it 38-34, and then Tom Brady final drive of the game throws a uh, throws an interception on their side of the on the Colts side of the field to Marlon Jackson, which seals the victory and sends us to the Super Bowl. I lost my mind. I was in fourth grade. I was screaming at the top of my lungs. Colts going to the Super Bowl. I think just because that moment was so special to me, being able to watch the Colts go to the Super Bowl, um, it was a very special moment for me. I think that's why, for me, that's my favorite Brady versus Manning moment. The craziest drive in that game was the last drive where the Colts had to come in and score where they led 38-34 is where Reggie Wayne catches the ball on a slant route, runs, and then he's he's getting tackled, and somehow he loses the ball in midair, and Asante Samuel is right there to grab it. But somehow Reggie Wayne was so quick enough while he was still being pulled down to reach for that ball and pull it back in that moment i Talk felt was stressful. stressful it felt like it was in slow motion believe it or not if he didn't recover that we probably didn't make it to the super bowl no like it was that big of a play that no one <laughs> actually really talks about it's like reggie wayne are you you really trying to give us a heart attack right now <laughs> he knew it's what like, he was reggie, doing don't do that man don't do that oh i remember when that happened and it was so it was confusing in the moment, Nate. At least for me, because he's surrounded by like three or four Patriots defenders, and the ball just pops up, and I see it. It's like it's like it's a, just suspended in midair, and I'm like, <laughs> "What's going on right now? We just lost the football. The Patriots just recovered this ball. After all this, we come back just to lose late in the game, and then Reggie, obviously, as history tells us." came down with it and you know the rest is history but yeah that was oh my goodness that was such a stressful moment that was a stressful game yeah and that was a stressful year to be honest uh for the defense the worst team worst defense in uh running wise in the league and i believe we set a record for being the worst run defense in the league and we don't want to go through that again but then when the playoffs started we were the best de- run defense in the league. That was yeah. what was remarkable that year. Yeah. A lot of people expected the Chiefs because we played the Chiefs in the wild card game that, we, that year. And um, a lot of people expect us to lose that game because uh, who was it? Uh, Larry Johnson. That, was that who it was? I thought it was. Uh, Running back for the Chiefs? Yeah. Yeah, Larry, Larry Johnson. Johnson? Uh, I know it was number 25, and he he really had a great year that year. I don't know his statistics, but he had a phenomenal year that year, and he was at the top of his game. An elite running back, and the everyone expected the Colts to struggle against the Chiefs, and they surprised everybody and shut shut him down. So. And then when you face the Ravens with Jamal Lewis, who is another great running back, they nobody expected them to stop him either, but they did. Yeah. It was, it was just a remarkable playoff run. It really was. And yes, you were... You were giving, you know, a little sneaky sneaky with what I was going to do. Instead of choosing one, there's like multiple I can talk about. Obviously, 2006 is the, you know, the true best moment because it gave us a chance to go to the Super Bowl and win, which we did. I want to go back literally almost every game, but I'm not going to go to every game. The, The Colts and Patriots... Before Manning won the first game against Tom Brady, I believe he was 0-6, 0-6, something in that order. And no one was giving Peyton Manning the chance to beat him on the game that he beat him. And everybody was like, well, the only reason why the Colts beat him that year was because the defense had so many injuries, which is true, but you still have Bill Belichick. All right. And he doesn't make any excuses. And you have a lot of the players that are retired now that were playing during that year that say, oh, well, that's the only reason why the Colts won. It's like, that's baloney, man. The Colts whooped your butt and you just don't want to even admit it. And then uh, the very next year they play him again, 
The Colts barely won, I think, 21-14, but the Colts still beat them. They were on a roll against the Patriots at that time. Marvin Harrison making those remarkable catches um, on the sideline. If you remember um, that year in 2007, or it could have been 2006, he juggles the ball on the sideline and somehow last second grabs it in the end zone and just brings it in, and it was a touchdown. That was a crazy play by him. And then, then you bring up the later game, which the AFC Championship game, uh, not too long after that, great game. But the game I want to specifically point out in just a few minutes, a lot of people is not a fan of, but it was a very good game. A game, before I mention this one, a game that I really enjoyed was the fourth and two game. And if everybody don't remember that, that's when Bill Belichick and Tom Brady decided to go go for it on fourth and two because they couldn't stop Peyton Manning's offense that game. So they decided to on their on their side of the field to go for it and they ended up not recovering because their running back was juggling the ball. If he wasn't juggling the ball, they had a first down. But since he was juggling the ball, and before he got full possession, he was behind the line. So that gave the Colts momentum that game to go down in the last seconds of the game to score a touchdown by a good Reggie Wayne and won that game. That was a remarkable game. If you don't remember that, Elijah, I suggest you go back and watch that. I don't. Yes. I think you remember it because it's one of the greatest moments. I think, Tom yeah. Brady and Manning. I know what you're talking about because I remember you because you're talking about uh, Bill Belichick uh, going for it on fourth down. Because uh, he couldn't stop Peyton in that game and didn't want to give Peyton Manning the ball, so that he was more willing to risk it by going for it and possibly, you know, getting first down and punting it away and just handing it back to Peyton Manning in that offense. Um, and I remember he was juggling it, uh, got hit, um, and it was all, um, you know, ended up being turnover on downs. Um, mm-hmm. I, I need to go back and and watch it, watch um, clips from that game, um, but. I know what game you're talking about, and it's definitely yeah. an epic moment between Brady and uh, Brady and Manning. They had so many great games. Oh yeah, and the and the game I like the game I said I was going to get to it. The game I really want to point out, and it's not it might not be our favorite, but it was a great Brady and Manning moment. It was when both teams were undefeated. It was it was in 2007 when both teams were undefeated. We just won the Super Bowl. We're coming into the year smoking hot. So is Tom Brady and Randy Moss. If you guys remember that year, he just got Randy Moss that year. He had Wes Welker. I, I forgot who else they had, but it was a remarkable team. Yeah. And that game was so hyped. It was as advertised. It was a great game. Two teams, the top two teams of the AFC, Kind of like, you know, Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady type vibe. It was just awesome. It was an awesome game. Sadly, we lost, but it was so good. We should have won it, but it was just a great game between the two. And thankfully, the New York Giants were able to kick their butts in the Super Bowl and, you know, obviously not let Tom Brady get, you know, his Super Bowl rings. Because believe it or not, if it, if it wasn't for the New York Giants, Tom Brady would have what? Eight? Nine rings, eight like, yeah, we would definitely be talking about uh, Tom Brady being the goat in the NFL, yeah. But anyway, this is not a Patriots podcast, this is Colts podcast. (laughs) Let's go back to the Colts, yes. So, actually, um, moving on, uh, from uh, Brady versus Manning, there are so many we could probably spend an entire segment talking about the two. Forget Uh, segment, we talk a whole episode, yeah, no kidding. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, moving on to continue our draft in depth series, we have gone over and uh, we have uh, talked in depth about each pick um, for the first three picks that the Indianapolis Colts had in this year's draft. We talked about Michael Pittman Jr., his size and his ability to go up for those passes and just rip the ball out right out of the air. We talked about Jonathan Taylor and his uh, playmaking ability and how uh, how uh, we feel he's going to impact the running game going into this season. We talked about Julian Blackman 
and what he provides for the Colts and, and what how he's going to be utilized um, on this defense. And that leads us to the Colts' fourth, uh, fourth pick in the 2020 draft. A slight surprise to some. Um, he was kind of being projected to go in the second round. Some even had him in the late first round. Uh, Jacob Eason was taken in the fourth round by the Indianapolis Colts. And some, I don't know, I was reading on Twitter right after this pick, and some Colts fans were like, uh, he's nothing more than a perennial backup. And a lot of Colts fans weren't really happy with the decision. Uh, but I, Nate, I personally, I think this was a great pick. It's not high risk. We didn't have to waste a high round pick on a quarterback, um, on Jacob Eason specifically. Um, and I think he is a developmental project for Frank Reich and the Colts at this point. Um, and something that I want to remind everybody about Jacob Eason is that he is not a lock that he's the future of our franchise. You know, worst that can happen is we work with him. Um, he sits behind Jacoby, uh, at least for this year. I don't really expect Jacoby to be here next year, but at least for this year, he sits under, sits behind uh, Jacoby and Philip Rivers, learns the game from the third chair, uh, learns from one of the greatest uh, quarterback minds in the league. He is a quarterback guru, quarterback wizard, Frank Reich. Um, he is incredible when it comes to developing quarterbacks, and he gets to learn from Frank Reich, um, learn the, the offense at the professional level. Worse, worse happens is he, you know, he was a fourth round pick that didn't work out. We move on. He he didn't develop in the way that um, the Colts were hoping he could. But he's a project. It's not like this. It's not like we're pegging our whole future on Jacob Eason because we're really not. We've built a, an entire team um, that's ready to go out and win. As, as a whole unit, we're not we're not pegging our whole future on Jacob Eason, and so I don't think this will. I think this was a good move. This could potentially on the upside. Um, this could potentially set us up for future success at quarterback. Jacob Eason's coming in to perhaps the best situation that he could have possibly landed in. He he's coming into a team where there is absolutely no pressure for him to start. If Philip Rivers goes down, Jacoby's the next man up. Even if Philip Rivers gets hurt this year, Jacob Eason will not be expected to play. He gets to pretty much almost guaranteed to not play this entire year and learn the playbook, learn the team, learn the game at the professional level. And hopefully in a couple years, when Philip Rivers is ready to walk away from the game on the upside, um, you know, best case scenario is Jacob Eason has really shown improvement. He's had a couple seasons to play um, in, the, in the preseason and get some preseason action and really show some improvement, really show some development. And then he's able to come in, in the next within the next two or three years and take the reins and surprise everybody and be, at the very least, a good quarterback um, that helps to complement our power run scheme and win a lot of games and get us to some playoff appearances and hopefully a Super Bowl. Um, this is a team that I don't think is is reliant on the passing game anymore. Um, just with the way Frank Reich is building this offense, um, you don't have to have a Patrick Mahomes come in and throw 50 touchdowns. You know, you, we don't, we're not a team that has to have that. So, um, with that being said, I think Jacob Eason is a very good pick for the Colts. Yeah. And I do apologize guys. If you were hearing, um, some noise, it was my daughter kissing me goodnight. So I do apologize for that. Uh, Jacob Eason couldn't have worked out any better for us where we picked him. You were absolutely correct on that. A lot of people were projecting us to pick him up in the second round using our second or third pick. Mm. And I definitely did not agree with that. And to be honest, me and you thought if they're going to pick a quarterback in the second or third <laughs> round, it's going to be Jalen Hurts. Yeah, yeah. But but obviously that didn't work out. We, we picked up Jacob um, Eason and like I said yeah we picked him up at a great spot because it's no guarantee he's our future quarter uh, our quarterback of the future and there's no guarantee that you know he's going to be playing and let's just say this when he plays in the field on the if, if we have a preseason when he gets on the field I'm actually going to be watching it and actually probably enjoying it a lot more because when Philip Walker 
was with the Colts at that time. I didn't like watching him because it just seemed like every time he tried to pass the ball, it just got knocked down or he would just run around and make the worst passes possible. And then obviously Philip Walker had a great short career in the XFL and then it's been signed to uh, uh, Carolina. <sighs> I think this is definitely a guy that Frank Wright can mold. And if it ends up working out, it will be known as one of the best picks, not just in Colts history, but probably in the league. Okay, because he has that hype. He has the skill sets that you're saying if he can get it together, he is going to be a good quarterback in this league. And everybody will be comparing him not to not to this guy, Tom Brady. I'm not saying he's the next Tom Brady, guys. (laughs) Don't don't. I'm just saying uh, Tom Brady was picked 199th pick in the draft. And no one expected him to be uh, the GOAT as we know him now. All right. But for a quarterback to be so successful, especially in the fourth round, it it would be absolutely amazing. Yeah. It It would would solidify. I feel like it would solidify Chris Ballard's legacy for sure. Yes, it would. And it definitely shows that he didn't have to go up in the draft to get him. Yeah. And if he has a great preseason, he will still be third string. I just, the question for me is, how, how are the Colts going to handle it? Are they going to just carry a two quarterbacks in the depth chart, or are they going to carry three? And later in the season last year, they were carrying three. And then they had a fourth um, quarterback in the uh, practice squad, and that was Philip Walker. So how, how are they going to do it? Are they going to just carry two and then have uh, Jacob Beeson be the practice squad guy? Are you really going to want to risk him being on the practice squad and then somebody desperately needing a quarterback and then him get picked up? To me, I think he's just going to be a third string quarterback in the depth chart. He's yeah. not going to he's he's not going to quote unquote be a part of the practice squad, but more than likely he will be part of the reps of the practice squad. And there's no prediction here. You said it, and I'm going to say it. He's not going to play at all this season unless, for some reason, Philip and uh, Jacoby decide to break something in their bodies. <laughs> and, and, he, and, he, and even then, I don't know if uh, Frank Reich would uh, let the young guy take some reps. He might just get a, a free, free agent. Who knows? He might yeah. go trade for Nick Foles. Okay, we we just don't know. Yeah, but yeah. Jake Jacob Eason, he he has some talent. He has some skill that we could add on to. The question is though, can he grasp it? Yeah, and you know, I, he's definitely not ready to play uh, in NFL an NFL game. Um, he's very much a developmental quarterback. Um, he perhaps has he talked about having if not the strongest then the at least the second strongest arm out of the quarterback class that came out of the 2020 draft um he can just bomb it he's got an incredible arm uh there's some questions surrounding his his mechanics and his ball placement and his decision making uh, specifically when it comes to facing the blitz he tends to panic uh through college he tended to panic and and um, make some poor decisions with the ball. Um, but that's all, like, literally, Nate, the reason why I'm optimistic about Jacob Eason is because everything I've heard about him are things that can be worked out. They're things that Frank Reich can fix. They're not intangibles. They're not just intangible errors that are beyond fixing. And that's why if anybody can get the most potential out of Jacob Eason, Frank Reich and this coaching staff, they're going to be the ones to accomplish it. My only concern is the same concern that everybody has had surrounding Jacob Eason, and that is the rumors of his poor work ethic. He transferred from, um, I believe it was Georgia, 
I don't think Jake Fromm took his job in Georgia. He transferred to um, he transferred to Washington, and he had a year to learn the offense. And after that year, he was still struggling. There were rumors that he wasn't he wasn't working hard in the film room. He wasn't working hard to study the playbook and learn the plays and really get acclimated with this offense. And after that full year where he didn't have to play and he had the chance to learn, um, he was after some rumored lazy work ethic. He was still struggling to learn the offense. With that being said, coming into the league, being drafted by Indianapolis, he said he's had a huge uh, chip on his shoulder. And I'm not going to use the vernacular he uses, but basically he he has said that he's going to work his tail off and he's going to prove all his critics wrong. And as long as he keeps that mentality, as long as he, as he is serious about that and he's not just blowing smoke, then I think he's going to be fine. As long as he's willing to work as hard as he absolutely can to learn the game at the professional level, take all the criticism and critique that Frank Wright can give him, learn from behind Philip Rivers, who is a future Hall of Fame quarterback, learn from behind Jacoby Brissett, who's had a lot of in-game experience recently. Um, I really think he could turn into a huge success story for the Colts um, as somebody that can lead us to a lot of wins and and hopefully one of these days um, help lead us to a Super Bowl because obviously that's the bottom line. So, And I'm with you, Nate. He's not going to touch the ball on the field this year um, in terms of playing uh you know quarterback it's not going to happen as far as uh season statistics and predictions it's a big goose egg for jacob Eason in the year 2020 he is big goose egg play (laughs) he will not play in 2020 no doubt in my mind about that but i think he's a good pick we got him in a very good place and um i i think he has the potential to really to really do some good for us down the line yeah so yeah um, so, Nate, before we end this episode, would you like to reveal the answer to this week's trivia question? In 2009, Colts fans, in 2009, Colts ran a trick play where fill in the blank threw a touchdown pass to Reggie Wayne. Who was it? That's my attempt of a drum roll, guys. It might more sound like a ringtone, or maybe I'm going Chewbacca. Who knows? But anyways, <laughs> the answer is Joseph Adai against the San Francisco 49ers. It was a fake run to the outside, and he tosses a 22-yard touchdown pass to Reggie Wayne, which made the final score 18 to 14 victory. Yeah, Reggie had to stretch for that. He had to stretch for that pass. Yes, he did. It was not an easy catch. And and what's funny is that I knew Joseph Adai was a quarterback in high school, and I kind of figured that somehow the Colts would try to figure that, put that in into the system. I just didn't know when it would happen, but I figured they would have to. If somebody has a history of being a quarterback, you should be able to try to do some trick plays with them, you know? It's like Antoine Randall-L. Do you know who that guy is? You remember who that guy is? I remember who that guy is, yes. Yeah, he was actually a quarterback for University of Indiana, of all oh, places. Wow. And the and the Pittsburgh Steelers decided, hey, we don't want you as a quarterback, but we will take you as a wide receiver. And he was definitely a well-known uh, Pittsburgh Steeler when he was playing at that time. And Absolutely. With, jo- with Joseph Adai, I definitely was expecting him to do it sometime in his career. I just obviously didn't know when, yeah. and they finally capitalized on it. And just a little side trivia. Um, with that play, um, you find out Joseph dies left-handed. So, <laughs> I already knew that, actually. <laughs> before, I either knew it and forgot it, it. Or, or I didn't know that. And I saw it for the first time the other day when I happened to be watching Joseph Adai highlights. So, um, but but yeah, wasn't a bad pass. Reggie had a stretch for it, but it wasn't wasn't a terrible pass. So yeah, it, Joseph Adai, he uh, was able to notch a little passing touchdown on his resume. So, yeah, thank a little you. Michael Vick. Yeah, a little Michael Vick action, left handed left handed pass. But thank you guys so much for tuning into this week's pod. We we appreciate it so much that you uh, take time out of your day to listen. For those of you who have been listening uh, off and on throughout our our, our past episodes. We thank you so much 
for listening and for finding some value in the content that we put out there. And for those of you joining us for the very, very first time, thank you so much. Um, we know we're crazy. We know we make crazy <laughs> predictions. We know we have hot takes. But uh-huh. we yeah. love the game of football, and we love the Indianapolis Colts, and we hope you do too. And yeah, and I, and I believe we've gotten better. I believe absolutely. we've gotten better since the first time. So. Hey, it's a learning process. Neither of us have ever done this before, but we love doing it. And we love we love talking to, uh, to anybody about the Indianapolis Colts and about football. And that's why we made the, the Twitter page, at GFI Podcast. Please don't forget to go over there, um, like our page, so you don't miss out on any content that we put out. As well as, uh, you know, we, we're always open to start discussions about the Indianapolis Colts. Um, ask us questions. Get some discussions started on our Twitter page. We love to uh, continue these topics over there on Twitter. So thank you all again so much. Go and have an awesome day, awesome week. Stay safe, please. Continue yes, to wash your hands. You. Practice social distancing, right, Nate? Right. Got to practice, man. Got to definitely practice. <laughs> so you guys be safe. We will catch you on next week's episode here on Go For It. As always, thank you all so much. Have a great week. We'll catch you on the next one. Later, later.